0: voice. <laughs> yes, well good morning again everyone. Uh, it's good to be with you. You might have noticed uh, that Andrew's not here today. He's actually um, preaching about elsewhere this morning up at St Paul's in Warunga uh, They've recently had a minister depart. They're waiting for a locum to take them through to their new minister but there's a, a gap of a few weeks in between. Um, And Andrew's there this week, and I think I'll be there next week, Uh, but we're just uh, trying to fill in and and serve them in these couple of weeks. Uh, Well, uh, you've heard the readings, and do open those up if you've got them in front of you, so you can uh, follow along. Open up to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're talking about uh, requests, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings this morning. Now, uh, Andrew mentioned last week that it's the uh, easiest thing in the world for a preacher to lay guilt on people. And I I, I think it is quite easy. And I think that the topic that would be the easiest to lay guilt on people about would probably be prayer. That's really not what I intend to do today. Rather, what I want us to do together is look at who God is in this passage and to be excited by that overwhelmed by that excited by who he is and then uh, what we pray will flow out of that because prayer reveals who you think god is at the most basic level well praying at all indicates that you think a god or at least hope a god exists and can help you But it reveals more than that too, I think. What and how you speak to someone shows what you think of them. Imagine you go home uh, this afternoon, you get home and you find a break-in going on. Uh, You might well ring the police and hope that they would come and perhaps arrest a criminal and help you. uh, Because you believe the police could possibly help you in that circumstance. Uh, Perhaps if you live, though, in another part of the world with a police force that is perhaps less resourced or more corrupt... You might face the same scenario and not call out to the police, not ring them. Because what you uh, say to someone, what you ask them, illustrates what you think about them. How you pray to God shows what you think about him. Um, Chapter 2 in Paul's letter here to Timothy that we're looking at, it starts a big chunk where Paul talks about uh, how he thinks Timothy's church should act and organise themselves when they meet up together. And this is the first thing that Paul says that he wants the church in Ephesus to do. Listen for what he wants them to speak to God about. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It's not really a very difficult instruction to understand. Basically, it says this. Speak to God in all kinds of ways about everyone and pray, especially for those who have the capacity to control the circumstances of our lives So that the conditions that we live in will help us live faithful lives and help more people come to know God. Now, uh, we, we may often pray for a peaceful life, a quiet life. I wonder how much that's entered your prayers. But the purpose isn't just to have quiet lives. It's in order to be able to live a godly and holy life, in order that people would be saved. So the question is, knowing what kind of god would lead to that kind of prayer we've got a chance this morning just to rejig how we think of god or perhaps change completely how we think of him to know him more deeply if if your prayers aren't quite like this one if this doesn't seem sort of natural and obvious and that's certainly the, the case for me then what is it about god that you're not quite getting this passage tells us exactly what kind of God leads to this kind of prayer. Have a look at our verse 3 again. It says, This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It's good. It pleases God because it's consistent with his character. God there is our Saviour who wants all people to be saved. Paul is emphasising that God is saviour. That's what he's about. He's about salvation. That's how he acts in the world. Understanding that, getting that more fully, clinging to that more deeply is what we need. And the key to understanding God as saviour, well, actually there's there's two keys, I guess, two words that are repeated in the passage. The first one is uh, all and the second one is one. Both key in this passage, all and one. And they communicate the idea that salvation is inclusive but also exclusive. So we're going to linger for a moment on those two elements God as the inclusive Savior, the All, God as the exclusive Savior, the One, that helps us think more deeply about God as Savior, which drives this prayer. And so as we look at each one, I want you to ask yourself. Is this an aspect of God's character that maybe I don't focus on very much or I don't quite get? Is this one that I need to believe more, meditate on more deeply? So first, God as the inclusive saviour, he's for all. You might have noticed that word all gets uh, repeated uh, five times in this passage. Six actually, but the first one is where it says first of all. It doesn't quite mean the same thing, but you've got... All people, all those in authority, all godliness and holiness, all people, all people, it comes up multiple times. It's very, it's very obvious when you read it again, you say, wow, it's, it's there so many times. God yearns for people to come to know him, whoever they are, wherever they are. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Of course, this implies that all people, whoever they are and wherever they are, need saving That is, every person is in danger, every person needs urgently to turn away from the empty way of life, which is focused around themselves and ignoring God, and to turn to him and live, live as he designed it, which is both right and good for all people. God wants all people to be saved. Now, this doesn't mean that all people will be saved automatically, that That makes no sense of Paul's uh, missionary zeal and he acknowledges as much uh, elsewhere. It doesn't teach that God will save people irrespective of their stance towards Jesus Christ. Uh, The next section about God's exclusive salvation purposes makes that clear. But this teaches that God, he takes no pleasure in seeing any person die without salvation In Timothy's context, there were those who thought uh, that God didn't want to save the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And it'd be easy in Timothy's context to think, oh, these crazy Roman pagans, God doesn't want to save them. Let's stay safe in our little church. God wants the salvation of all people. This means he wants every kind of person to be saved. There's no place you can be born There's no type of personality you can have or there's no sort of family you can come from or amount of resources that you can have that automatically disqualifies you from coming to the knowledge of the truth about God. It's in this sense that God is an inclusive saviour. He's for all. So uh, I said at the beginning, you know, what is it that you perhaps don't quite believe about God, or perhaps not deeply enough? Is it this? Is it not quite believing that all kinds of people need saving? We can kind of know it in our heads, but maybe it's not something that we actually believe. Let's, um, let's think uh, of a bit of a thought experiment I don't know how it's gonna work, but let's think of someone who's really unlike you, the most opposite to you, you can think of. Okay, so if you grew up in Australia, think of someone who grew up somewhere else. Let's say, I don't know, Morocco. If you didn't grow up in Australia, think of someone who grew up somewhere else. If you've been to university, then imagine this person didn't go. If, you've, if you live in a house, imagine this person doesn't live in a house. If you've never been in prison, imagine that this person has been in prison. Now, I'm not sure what sort of picture you get in your head when you think of a person who's opposite to you, but that person, if real, God wants to save them. Do you believe that? God wants, he yearns for that person to be saved. Let's have a look at it from a different angle. We thought of someone who's unlike us. Now let's think of someone who we unlike. Okay, I don't know who it is for you, so don't don't say it, but... If it's me, then then let's talk after. Please do come and say something. (laughs) But whoever it is, it might be someone who you just haven't got on with well lately, someone who you've got a a long-term kind of issue with, someone who you just would rather not be in the same space uh, with them. Just think of that person, who it is. God wants them to be saved He yearns for them to be saved, to come into relationship with him. He died for them. God is an inclusive saviour. Or perhaps maybe you're happy with the idea that all kinds of people uh, uh, God wants to save, but you underplay how passionate God is to see more people saved. You know, you're happy having come into a relationship with God yourself, but you don't, you know, have much of a drive for others to also come into relationship with God. Perhaps underneath you don't actually see the urgency. You don't really and deeply believe that people need saving. You actually look around and think, well, actually life looks pretty good for a lot of people and God's not all that relevant. Perhaps that's what you think about yourself. But for God to want all people to be saved... All people must need saving. Everyone left to their own devices is living a wasted life. A life that's turned in on itself. A life that is ultimately heading towards God's wrath. People need saving. All people. It's urgent. God wants all people to be saved. That's what he's about. He's a saviour God. His nature is to save. He's inclusive. He wants all to be saved. But... He's exclusive in a sense too. There's just one way to be saved. Have a look at verse 5. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. There are two ones there. The first one is, There is one God, one God. A foundational statement of, of Christian belief and other monotheistic religions as well, but there is one God and no other. Of course, the world offers all you know, other types of gods. There's gods of other religions, yes, uh, but there's also gods that consume minds and hearts and drive us, um, gods of wealth perhaps or, or status or some kind of experience there is only one God. You cannot be saved by chasing after any of those other things. Anyone who's not yet a Christian living and wor- living for and worshipping the one God is living for some other god. There's no such thing as neutral ground, and even once we have become Christians, these other gods often find their way towards the the throne of our hearts. And uh that's why, as Christians, we keep repenting, both on our own and when we come, come together like this. So no other thing, no other religion, no other worldview, no other approach to life rescues you from the trouble that each of us is in. The only way to life is to entrust yourself to one Saviour God. The other one in this verse is that there is one mediator, a single go-between between humanity and, and God himself. A mediator is like a, a bridge that connects two sides and the gap uh, that this mediator is bridging is a relational gap. The gap because we've turned away from God, turned inward on ourselves, uh, deserving therefore of God's wrath. That's what we need saving from. Having turned away from the God who's worthy of all glory, we need saving from his his just anger because of our sin. And Jesus bridges that gap by being the ransom, by giving himself up. This is what it means to be saved a sinful, turned in on themselves human being, put right with God in Jesus. Is this something we don't quite believe about God? I wonder. Perhaps, you know, we know that there's one God, kind of intellectually, but perhaps we're often getting dragged away, governed by something else. Perhaps there are really two gods in your life or three or more. In, in Timothy's day, the church was getting uh, caught up in the Old Testament law and thought that this was the way to know God, to be connected to him. They wanted to have something tangible that they could do Uh, in order to show that they were in and that they were right with God, misusing the law by placing it as a standard to be followed, a way by which they could be saved. But the law is not the one mediator. That's the man, Christ Jesus. Perhaps it's not the law for you that you misuse. Perhaps it's something else, something that's good, but that you use as a saviour rather than the one mediator. Perhaps it's your bulletproof plans for the future. You now, there's nothing wrong with making good plans, but to depend on those plans is placing something other than the one mediator in that position. Perhaps it's um, something to do with the medical system or good diet and exercise. You think that if you put things into that, that's going to that's save you. And those things are good, uh, but they are not the one mediator. Perhaps it's um, some kind of hard work or uh, having enough money to be sure and certain of your future. Also, they find things on their their own, but not to depend on. The one mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. There's no other way. God as Saviour is exclusive. There is only one way, but there is a way. He gave himself up. He wants us. To be saved. So that's the kind of God that, that Paul wants Timothy to, to embrace a Savior God, both exclusive and inclusive. He's for all with one way. So if you believe in that kind of God, well, what kind of life does it lead you to? What's well, the kind of life that Paul um, urges Timothy and his congregation to pray for? Peaceful and quiet in all godliness and holiness how does that kind of life connect with this god who's driven by salvation for all well godliness and holiness they are marks of a saved life that's what it looks like to follow this god you can think of godliness as i guess your relationship with god himself uh, the times you spend praying to him confessing to him uh, worshipping him and holiness as you can think of that as the way you relate to others uh, living such uh, uh, good lives that they are worthy of special honour. That's what the, the word means. Peaceful and quiet lives, well, they're the context that give opportunity for godly and holy lives to be lived out and observed by others in the hope that they too may be saved. Peaceful and quiet. I don't know if you think of your life as peaceful and quiet. It's a few laughs, perhaps not. But the... Uh, the reality is in our situation in the western world it is amazingly peaceful and quiet in terms of the rest of history. I mean COVID has disrupted things slightly and um, we have kind of our own you know personal things going on but largely our western society is extremely stable certainly in comparison to Paul and Timothy. Paul was you know just waiting for his next arrest Uh, Timothy was, and the Ephesian church, they were a a small beacon within a a, a pagan society, an anti-Christian culture around them. Um, They had a much less stable political system where a local governor could easily be corrupt or the emperor could be killed and changed and everything would be different. Society is um, based on pagan values rather than we've at least got an underpinning of Judeo-Christian values. uh, Peace and quiet would have... uh, been very much an urgent prayer for Paul and Timothy. That's not quite our situation, though it's still great to pray for those things, but our risk is probably more forgetting the purpose of having peace and quiet, of wanting these kinds of conditions. You know, it's easy to like peace and quiet because it's just comfortable, it's peaceful, but Paul's urging here is not to like it for that reason. He's not about the the preoccupation of individuals with their own personal and God-sanctified good fortunes. No, the reason is that those conditions are better for people to live out a Christian life and and others to come to know the Lord. This is God's purpose because that's the nature of God. And so we return to uh, Paul's urging of Timothy. He wants us to pray Uh, so that conditions that we live in will help us live faithful and uh, holy lives and help more people come to know God. And looking at it, you can see how that flows out of who God is. Remember, God is the saviour of all, for all. So Paul urges prayer for all people. He wants all kinds of people to be saved and more that are currently saved, including those who are in power in our world he talks of praying with prayers intercessions, petitions and thanksgiving there's not really a clear delineation between each of those uh, categories but the sense is with all kinds of prayers, with all kinds of speech uh, speak to God and pray for all kinds of people our God wants the salvation of all but there's only one way to salvation, one mediator and that's why We pray to God. That's why we ask him, the one God. We know that whatever government we have, uh, whatever systems we have, whatever institutions, they are ultimately not our saviors. We heard in Romans 13 a a longer explanation of this idea that governments are are set up by God for good and also accountable to him. uh, So they should be respected and, and prayed for. Prayed for, not just generally, but with a specific goal in mind, to allow peaceful and quiet conditions. Not because that's particularly good in itself, but because that will work towards a godly salvation life for those who are already saved, and allow more to be saved through his son. See, prayer tells you what you think about the one you're praying to. So, out of out of today, I don't want you just to, I guess, pray um, prayers that are more like this exactly word for word i want i want you to to think more deeply about who god is who 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 you're praying to go deeper in your understanding of his his desire for salvation to meditate on that to know it deep down that that's who he is that governs what he does well we're about to finish uh, and we're going to spend some time praying together as we do. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, pray now to you all too briefly and too broadly, but we pray for all people, people who aren't like us, people we don't even know. Lord, we thank you that you are a God uh, who longs for all people to be saved. And we pray for all those across the world, those here in Australia, the millions here and the billions across the world. Lord, we ask that they would come to a knowledge of the truth and a trust in your son, Jesus. We ask that you would grow in us uh, a heart for them like yours. And Lord, we pray for our leaders We pray for those in in local, state, and federal politics, for the leaders across our world. Lord, we pray that they would be saved. Lord, we thank you so much for the stability and peacefulness in our part of the world currently. And we pray that we would be allowed to live quiet lives, not so we're comfortable, but so that we can live out our relationship to you and, and a life of love to those around us. We ask that conditions would allow us to explain to people the great news of your offer of salvation. Explain to people that you are the God who yearns for salvation, and we pray you would make you'd help us make the most of the chances that you give us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Uh, well, we're just going to uh, listen to a, uh, a song on the video now that picks up on one aspect we've been speaking about